The Secret Church Podcast is a resource from Radical.net. This is Secret Church 21, Episode 5. If we're going to rectify the great imbalance and accomplish the Great Commission, we need a God's eye view of the world, and then we need a God-centered perspective of our lives. I put Luke 15 in your study guide at this point. Because we have a God who leaves the 99 to go to the one with supernatural love. He pursues the one who's lost. He does what it takes to find them. We need to see our lives as a picture of that kind of love in a world of urgent need. Reflecting Him, which means we need to change the way we view our lives. I mentioned earlier specifically in nine ways. So let's run through them. We're going to run fast, but hang with me because every one of these is important. One. We must replace a limited local focus with an expansive global vision in our lives and in our churches. Whenever I, we, anybody talks about global mission in the church, people inevitably say, what about the needs right around us here? Why are we talking about the needs among the nations when there's so much need in our nation right here? Shouldn't we just focus here? And the answer is not if you believe the Bible. Hopefully we've seen this from cover to cover in the Bible already, Genesis 12, Revelation 7, everywhere in between. But here's the other part of the story we haven't looked at yet. It's also evident from cover to cover in the Bible. The global purpose of God has always been and faced, been resisted, faced resistance from the comfortable people of God. From the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11, when they refused to scatter for the spread of God's glory, they tried to stay in one place for the sake of their own name. God says in Genesis 12, no, I want my blessing to spread to the ends of the earth. Then in Isaiah 56, God sets up the court of the Gentiles as a place for the nations to come and pray and behold his glory. But by Mark chapter 11, the people of God had set up shop in that same court. They were basically saying, we're going to make a profit for ourselves. Let the nations go to hell. In Acts chapter 11, Peter receives criticism for sharing the gospel with the Gentiles, the nations. Acts 15, God's people are trying to establish laws for the Gentiles to follow in order to receive the gospel of God's grace. I could go on and on with story after story in scripture, but maybe the clearest example is one of God's prophets in the Old Testament who totally missed the heart of God. So contrast Jonah with Jesus with me. Think about Jonah. When God called him to go to the Ninevites, who were enemies of the Israelites, and proclaim a message of repentance there, what do we see in Jonah? Well, clearly he wanted his way more than he wanted God's will. He did exactly the opposite of what God told him to do. Why? Because he desired the good of his nation more than he desired the gospel and other nations. Can I say that again? He desired the good of his nation more than he desired the gospel and other nations. Is that possible among God's people? Is that possible in our hearts? Absolutely, it is. Keep going. He failed to connect the mercy of God in his life with the mission of God in the world. He claimed, even celebrated salvation, yet he wanted to keep it to himself. He disconnected the mercy of God in his life from the mission of God in the world. Keep going. He knew the character of God in his head, but he neglected the compassion of God in his heart. Is that possible? To know the truth of the gospel in our heads and to miss the love of God in our hearts? Ultimately, he was more concerned about his own empty desires than he was about others' eternal destinies. He was so sad, disappointed, he didn't have a plant to shield him from the sun one day. And he didn't care a rip about hundreds of thousands of people in need of God's grace for eternity. So contrast Jonah with Jesus, as the Gospels do. Instead of reluctantly preaching to sinners in need of God's grace in other nations, Jesus relentlessly pursues sinners in need of God's grace in all nations. He seeks the lost with his life, even to the point of death. 
Instead of merely going to a city filled with his enemies, Jesus gives his life on a cross for the sake of his enemies. Instead of helping people in Nineveh temporarily avoid the just wrath of God, Jesus brings people in all nations eternally into the joyful worship of God. Jesus loves, pursues, lives, dies for the sake of the nations. So contrast Jonah with Jesus and then ask the question, which will characterize you and me? The spirit of Jonah that prioritizes care only for our people, that says, whether out loud or through our actions, we care about people right around us and our country who are more like us. Or will we be characterized by the spirit of Jesus who passionately cares for all peoples? Will we be marked by the spirit of Jonah that is content to let other nations go to hell as long as we can keep our nation and be comfortable in it? Or will we be marked by the spirit of Jesus who is committed to leading people from every nation to heaven? This is the heart of Jesus who by his blood gave his life for the sake of people from every tribe and language and people and nation. If we live in a church culture today, many of us live in a country today where we prioritize ourselves and our greatest concern is the preservation of our nation. And I'm not saying I'm not thankful for my nation and God's grace in it in so many ways, but my nation will not last forever. And the purpose of my life is not ultimately to preserve it. The purpose of my life and your life, our lives, is to enjoy and exalt all the glory of God in all the nations. If we're gonna rectify the great imbalance and obey the great commission, we must replace a limited local focus with an expansive global vision. That's number one. Number two, we must replace an either-or approach with a both-and approach to urgent spiritual and physical need. And here's why this is so important as we see needs in the world. So there are some who would say, we just need to look at spiritual needs. Right, where do people need the gospel? We need to focus on getting the gospel to them. But if those people in need of the gospel are starving, they don't have clean water, or they're being trafficked, and they're in the middle of war, then surely we need to consider those physical needs at some point and how we can show the love of Jesus to them. But on the other side of the spectrum, there are Christians who would say, we need to focus on physical needs regardless of the gospel. We're going to give our, our attention to those physical needs without ever proclaiming the gospel. But neither of these approaches squares with the ministry of Jesus or the church in the New Testament. Like your study guide says, Acts 11, 19 through 30 at this point, but unfortunately the only verses listed there go through verse 26. And these verses focus on the spread of the gospel, the founding of the church at Antioch, so spiritual need. But then verses 27 through 30 focus on care for physical needs in the church of Jerusalem. So both and. We've already talked about both the spiritual and the physical needs that Paul was focused on in Romans chapter 15. Luke 4, clearly Jesus is talking about the gospel with implications for the poor, the prisoner, the blind, and the oppressed. When you read the Bible, then you come away not with an either-or approach, but a both-and approach that realizes we must be ultimately, but not exclusively, focused on urgent spiritual need. We've already seen this. People's spiritual needs are ultimate. To use the picture of John 6 in your notes there, people's ultimate need is not for physical bread on earth, but the spiritual bread of life that is found through faith in Jesus. To use a Similar contemporary example, a water filter can help provide someone clean water, which is good and needed. But that water filter can't get anyone to heaven. Only the gospel can do that, which is why we must be ultimately, but not exclusively focused on urgent spiritual need, while we must be intentionally, but not exclusively, responsive to urgent physical need. So we don't ignore urgent physical need. We're compassionate in the face of such need, just as Jesus was throughout his ministry, like we see there in Mark 5. We must be intentionally responsive to people's physical needs as we reach people with the gospel, like we see in Acts 3. 
and as we care for people through the church. So this is a mark of the church that we give sacrificially to meet each other's needs. So what does this mean for us? As we think about needs in the world then, it means we rightly give attention to urgent physical needs in places with less urgent spiritual needs. In other words, reach places. Just because a place is reached doesn't mean we ignore it. The picture we see over and over again in the New Testament is an offering for the church at Jerusalem in the middle of famine. And all the churches were pulling together resources to help them. That's a good and right and biblical thing to do, to give attention to urgent physical needs among our brothers and sisters in Christ. At the same time, we also rightly give attention to urgent spiritual needs. In other words, unreached places, in places with less urgent physical needs. So just because Emiratis are extremely wealthy and physically well off, doesn't mean we ignore their need for the gospel as an unreached people group. We rightly give attention to getting the gospel to them, even though their physical needs are not as great. The point in the end is, ultimately, correcting the great imbalance will require intentional focus on both urgent spiritual and physical need. And I would add, especially places where both of these needs collide, like those high stratus index countries. This is where I think about the feeding of the 5,000 in Matthew chapter 14. What another awesome story. Just the picture of Jesus and his disciples and that story, what it teaches us about the opportunity to have and be the hands of, and feet of Jesus in a world of urgent need. Like, let's reflect the compassion of Jesus for those in need. Let's rely on the resources of Jesus. I love that statement. And the disciples, they say to Jesus, this is a desolate place and we don't have anything to feed all these people. That's like standing in front of Niagara Falls and saying, you can't find anything to drink. So Jesus looks at them and says, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. And the emphasis in the language there is on you. And they respond, well, we have five loaves and a bread and two fish. And don't miss the point. Jesus was calling these disciples to do something that they could not do in their own power, with their own resources. He was teaching them to recognize their own insufficiency and at the same time to realize his complete sufficiency in two ways. One, he meets needs in us, evident in Jesus' proclamation later that he's the bread of life. He's the one who has what our souls need to be satisfied. We've seen that. He meets needs in us and follow this. He meets needs through us. Think about it. If the point of the story was only to show Jesus's ability to meet needs for people, he could have called down bread from heaven. The people would have seen maybe in an even greater way who he was, but instead he prays and asks for the Father's blessing and then he calls his disciples to his side. Jesus doesn't give out one piece of bread in the story. Instead, he gives the bread to the disciples and they distribute it. And we're not told exactly how this miracle took place. Our imagination is kind of free to wonder about how five loaves suddenly or maybe slowly began to multiply from his hands into their hands. But that's the picture, the hands of Christ serving the hands of his disciples and the hands of the disciples serving the multitudes in need. That's the picture. Jesus uses his disciples to meet needs in others. So think about this in light of the needs we're talking about in the world right now. You might be tempted to think right where you're sitting, like, what can I do about this? I have so little. But don't think that way. You're standing at Niagara Falls. Don't you see there's plenty of water? You know Jesus, and he wants to use your life with all the resources he's given you to meet others' needs, to meet needs among the nations. So as we look at these needs, spiritual and physical in the world, let's rely on the resources of Jesus to meet those needs. Let's receive the blessing of Jesus as we meet those needs. Can you imagine the blessing of even being involved in this miracle? Like you see five loaves and two fish, 
and you start passing out food and loaf after loaf and fish after fish appears for thousands of people. Where's it coming from? Just imagine the joy and elation associated with that scene. And then, like, can it be a coincidence that they pick up leftovers and there are 12 basketfuls left, 12 baskets of bread in the hands of 12 disciples? How awesome is this? How exhilarating is it together to be the hands and feet of Jesus, seeing his power at work through you in a world of urgent need? I, this is what God desires to do with you and me and our lives and our families and our churches. And it all starts with either, with replacing an either or approach with a both and approach to urgent spiritual and physical need in the world. So that's second, third way we must change our perspective on our lives. We must replace a focus on reach mission fields with a focus on reach mission forces. We must replace a focus on reached mission fields with a focus on reached mission forces. Here's what I mean by that. From the very beginning of Jesus's ministry, Matthew chapter four, verse 19, we've talked about this. Every follower of Jesus is called, designed, commissioned to be a fisher of men. So when we reach people with the gospel, they become what? They become fishers of men. They go from being a mission field to being a mission force. This is simple, basic Christianity from the very beginning of the New Testament. Now, let's apply that to the green and yellow parts of the maps that we've looked at, places that were once mission fields are not mission fields in the same way anymore. Yes, there's more people in every place in the world that still need the gospel, but in those reached places, it's time for those mission fields to become a mission force. God designs mission fields that have been reached to become mission forces that are engaging the unreached. Think about Antioch. People in Antioch were first reached with the gospel in Acts chapter 11. Then two chapters later, they're sending out missionaries to unreached places. That's the way God has designed the church to work. The problem is we keep going back to mission fields. I think about U.S. Christians going to work in Latin America, where the gospel has gone, in most of Latin America, where disciples have been made and churches have been multiplied, it's time for us to see Latin America not as a mission field for us to send missionaries to, but a mission force that is sending missionaries around the world. This is the task of missions. It's what we see Paul and Barnabas going out from Antioch to do. It starts with entering into a place, establishing a presence among unreached people, men and women missionaries sent out by the Holy Spirit of God to establish a presence, to live and work among unreached people, where they do evangelism, proclaiming the gospel to unreached people. They do discipleship, teaching people to obey Jesus. And they're focused on healthy church formation, planning a biblical church and biblical churches among the unreached. They do leadership development, training pastors for those churches, missionaries to go out from those churches so that those churches can be led, led by those pastors. New missionaries can be sent out from them. The original missionaries who came to that people group can then exit, moving on together now with new believers and new missionaries and new churches alongside them to reach more unreached people. That's what's happening in the Bible. It's what Paul's doing in Romans 15. He's exiting now with a host of Christians in his wake, moving on together for the spread of the gospel to new places. In God's design, the missions field becomes a missions force. And when we realize this, we start to realize that many of the greatest laborers for the harvest field are currently in the harvest field. Let me give you an example. Turn of the 20th century, Korean Peninsula was less than 1% Christian, less than 1%. The missionaries went there, the gospel began to spread in such a way that 100 years later, at the turn of the 21st century, there were 10 million Christians in South Korea alone. And South Korea was second among countries in the world behind only the United States in sending missionaries, which is pretty remarkable when you realize South Korea is only the size of Florida and California combined. What that means is some of the greatest laborers for the harvest field today were in the harvest field just a generation or two ago. 
What if the greatest mission fields of today are designed by God to be the greatest missions forces of tomorrow? Like church, let's believe, let's believe this. Let's believe that God by his grace and his power can take a country like Afghanistan, less than 1% Christian. And through us sending missionaries and resources with the gospel there, that a hundred years from now, there might be 10 million followers of Jesus in Afghanistan sending out missionaries around the world. So is that possible? That's exactly what God did on the Korean Peninsula. And he can do it again. If we believe he can do it again, we give ourselves to it. So instead of merely going to reached mission fields while we ignore the unreached, which is what we as the church are doing right now, we must go with reached mission forces to engage the unreached. That is a massive paradigm shift that must take place. We must stop going to reached mission fields while ignoring the unreached. Instead, we must go with reached mission mission forces to engage the unreached. We must partner together in the gospel. Think Philippians chapter one, that the nations might enjoy and exalt God in all of his glory. All right, fourth way, we must change our perspective. We must replace a flawed ROI, return on investment, with a fixed resolve to complete the commission Jesus has given to us. So I'm gonna use an illustration here from one of uh, our brothers who I work alongside in uh, Radical, who has spent the last 25 years of his life in the hardest reach, hardest reach places in the world, high up in remote mountain villages. And he sat across the table one day with a donor who wanted to fund some water projects at a substantial amount. And this brother shared with this donor the need for clean water up in these villages that he was going into, along with the gospel, because no people haven't heard the gospel up in these villages. Most of them have never heard the name of Jesus never even heard his name. The donor said, well, I can get this many wells dug in. And he mentioned, I won't mention the specific country, but a country that is green on the map. I can get this many wells dug in this country for this amount of money with the support of churches there. Just to give you a picture of how green this country is, it's 83% professing Christian. It's one of the most Christian countries in the world. The donor said to my friend that I work alongside, he said, hey, can you match that return on investment? And my friend began to explain to this donor that these mountain villages are a bit different from that particular country, that there are actually mountains there and there aren't roads to go up into them. It's a lot harder to get to these villages, to get clean water there. And there would actually be resistance at every turn because these villages are very opposed to the gospel. And the donor walked away and said, I wanna be able to see more wells for the money I give. And that picture is a microcosm of one of the main problems that has led to 99% of our money going to reached places in the world, a flawed ROI, a flawed return on investment. We in the church have focused our giving on places where we can see the most returns in the fastest amount of time, the most impressive numbers to report to givers and donors, the best stories to share in our churches. And if we want thousands of people being saved in an open air evangelistic event, in South America or Africa or thousands of churches being planted at amazing speeds, then we're gonna keep focusing on those reached places. Remember, that's the problem. We have thought the Great Commission was make a lot of disciples, as many as possible, when the Great Commission is a specific command to make disciples among all the peoples, all the nations of the earth. And if we don't realize this and change our perspective, then we'll keep celebrating numbers of disciples and churches in reached places while we keep ignoring what Jesus has commanded us to do among three billion people who haven't even heard his name. Because here's the deal, you're not holding an open air evangelistic event in Afghanistan or Somalia or Yemen 
And you're likely not going to see thousands of churches being planted at amazing speeds with all kinds of physical needs being met in a political, developmental, social structure that's supportive of the church. So I guess that's the question in light of the constant theme in the book of Acts of following the Holy Spirit's leadership to press on to more and more places, no matter what it costs, are we willing to go to the hardest places with the Holy Spirit in our day? Are we willing to meet the toughest needs in the world around us in our day? Needs in Yemen, needs in North Korea. Are we willing to engage the smallest peoples, the smallest, most remote people groups in the Amazon, Amazon jungle or the Himalayan mountains or the North African desert? And are we willing to endure the longest challenges? The question we must answer is, do we as the church have the stomach to keep pressing on and stay focused on reaching unreached people in places when the stories and the numbers don't come pouring in like we'd like them to? Brothers and sisters, we must replace a flawed ROI with a fixed resolve to complete the commission that Jesus has given to us. Thank you for listening. You can find more episodes from Secret Church and thousands of other free resources at Radical.net.